The date is Friday, February 12th, and you're listening to Entertain This, a thought-provoking podcast encapsulating all things entertainment. In this episode, we'll be talking about Disney Pixar's latest film entitled Soul. In our spoiler-free discussion, we'll discuss the underlying philosophical and psychological themes found within the story, and maybe even dig a little deeper to uncover the meaning of life. All this in our usual comedic manner is included, of course, so enjoy! Welcome again, ladies and gentlemen, to your favorite Friday activity. That's right, you boys are back, and we are talking again. As always, I am Alex. I'm Michael. And I am Nick. And we recorded several openings before this that I would argue were better than this, but you know, oh my god. <laughs> Not a very good bit. It was a Listen, it's, bit. Like, it's like the YouTube algorithm. There's so many things that you can't say in the first minute, or else you get demonetized. That's right. I don't think. And I said that. all of them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. I've got quite the potty mouth. He said some things that. He really did. <laughs> don't worry, because today you're going to get a full hour of Nick saying some things. Mm-hmm. What they'll be, if they'll be good or bad, we will have to see, because it is Nick's week to host the podcast. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh no! Are you okay? Did did we remind you? Did we send you the memo? You know, I just I just couldn't remember what I was going to talk about today. Oh, you forgot already? Yeah, I forgot. I didn't write up notes or anything. No, he didn't. Isn't that going to be an interesting little twist? Yeah. No, just kidding. I did. Yeah. Um. <laughs> okay, well, take over then. Yep. Okay, great. I think I will. So let me uh, today. I'm going to talk about Disney Pixar's Soul. Right, it's a movie that came out in December of 2020, um, streaming only to Disney Plus, by the way, which is kind of strange. I don't think that's how it was supposed to be. I think that that no. was what they mm-hmm. settled for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was one of those movies. that was like, here's this thing that we want to release this year, but yeah, we can't which, because which on the whole is like really odd because they've had such a mixed like release methodology like because mulan was in theaters that's right soul wasn't and then this new uh this new disney movie that's supposed to be coming out with the the dragon or something uh that one is going to theater so it's like why soul why didn't soul go to theaters i think that when planning soul i think that it was much more in the deep of the uh panda express so uh, the I, pandemic. No, the Panda Express. We're we're not allowed to say that. We're not allowed to say those oh, words. Oh, okay, sorry. At least from what I've heard from all the other content creators, they're all coming up with their own interesting names. We're going to call it the Panda <laughs> Express. So, yeah, ever since the Panda Express started, uh, I think they had to kind of revamp their releases. And I think that for a second there in that shining light where we're like, it's over before the second wave hit, that's probably <laughs> when they were like, we could release this one in theaters. Probably. Yeah, we can yeah. let this one slide. Hold on, I want to go over the current ratings of Mulan, which got a theatrical release, versus Soul, which did not. Because yeah, I'm, I got I'm, the numbers right here for the budget. I don't want to do budget, I want to do rating. Oh, okay. I don't know if so, you all actually watched Mulan. It was not good. No, I didn't mm. I didn't think that it was. So yeah, uh, Mulan got a theatrical release, got a... Do you know the budget for Mulan? Nope. Uh, Off top of my head. 200 million US dollars to make Mulan. And, and that's not even including the CGI of when they brought Eddie Murphy back, which they didn't. 
and that's probably one of the reasons why I failed. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, it had a a Rotten Tomato score of seventy three percent. Got a five point six on IMDb. That's not so good. No. So keep that in mind as we're going through Soul, which did not get a theatrical release and was only nope. released on Disney Plus. Yeah, only one of those two movies was a musical. And I'm sure that's <laughs> so, the reason why. Soul could be interpreted as musical, but it's really not like, you know, you got it doesn't have singing numbers, but it does have music in it. So I don't know. Yeah, I didn't actually watch that. Soul, so like I'm just guessing that it was a musical because it okay. did pretty well. It's not a musical. Oh, okay, but, cool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but here's here's a little background on how I chose to watch this film. I was almost bombarded with ads about this film. There was uh, ads on Hulu. There was ads on my web browser. There was mm-hmm. everywhere. Disney chose to spend all of its marketing budget on me for this film, and it, it seems like mm-hmm. everywhere I looked, it was Soul, Soul, Soul. Have you seen this film yet? It's called Soul. So eventually... Because <laughs> they know you're on a podcast. They know. <laughs> they know. They give me the preferential treatment. Yep. <laughs> but uh, I was thinking that maybe you know, if I watch this film, the ads will go away. Of course, they don't. Mm-mm. But uh, anyways, I flip on Disney Plus. Grab some popcorn. I have some sodi pop. I see a pretty good looking film. The computer graphics have come a long way since Toy Story, and everything looked really, really like real and polished. Yet whimsical and still cartoony in a little bit. And it's not but the first 15 minutes in when it hits you over the head with a classic Pixar oof. Mm. I know what you mean. So, mm-hmm. let's, let's name some things that are certain to start. Nearly Something that will happen nearly 100% of the time, all the time. Death and taxes. Yep. That was an easy one. That was mm-hmm. a softball pitch. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the first thing you mentioned there, death, right? More importantly, that's a time when we do not exist, and that is certain as the time we record of here in 2021, but there's already been a time when you didn't exist, a before, a time when you are existing right now, and a time when you won't, death. So let's talk about death. What happens when we die? You know, I feel like this is a conversation that a lot of people have tried to have in the past. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like we're a little underqualified. <laughs> right, because nobody really knows. Yeah. If, if there was anyone to, like, jump in and judge, why wouldn't it be three assholes on a random podcast that they made that's in the fair. middle of Panda <laughs> Express? Yeah, that's very fair. I think uh, if anybody were to say how what happens after we die, I think we have a good a shot as any to get it right. <laughs> I mean, have you guys seen, uh, have you guys seen The Good Place? Uh-uh. The TV show? I've seen... I've seen bits of it, yeah. I've seen bits of it. So in it, they talk about how, like, this this girl, I mean, the basic premise is this girl named Eleanor, she dies, and mm-hmm. she gets sent to the good place, right? Um, they never say that it's heaven. They're just like, this is the good place. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, tongue in cheek. Um, she's like, so how, like, what happens when you die? Like, is there a heaven? Is there, like, a hell? Like, how does it work? And the guy in charge of the place is kind of like, well, it's bits and pieces of this and that. He's like... There was really only one person who got it, like, really right. And they're like, oh, really? Who is it? And he's just like, oh, this random dude who, like, got super high off mushrooms and was sitting in his college dorm. (laughs) He spent the next 12 hours talking about how, like, there's a point system, and for every good thing you do, you get a certain number of points, or for all the bad things you do, you get a certain number of points, and if you're good outweighs bad, then you go to the good place. And he nailed it. And when he did, all of us were really impressed, but 
he forgot after that. So (laughs) (laughs) what's funny is that's like, that's like how I thought of things when I was like eight and in Catholic school. (laughs) Yep. And that's kind of how they teach you. But the point that I'm kind of getting at is that if anybody were to get it right, it would be just some random assholes. So why can't we be those random <laughs> assholes? So I think we should waver, waver a guess on, on, on what happens after we die. And it's hard to do this without getting into religion, which we are not going to discuss. Well, we'll discuss it well, a little Disney bit, but I'm not going to. Yeah. Disney kind of did in a way for yeah. this film, so, but they didn't go with one particular religion. They just said, Here's maybe what happens according to 50 different faiths. Who knows? Well, okay, so there's a lot of like different things that could come into this. Like, do you guys believe in like rebirth or reincarnation? I don't want to so say belief. what any of us believe in, but Correct. we belief we is under, a tr- tricky okay. we understand and are familiar with uh with reincarnation and rebirth, I think. Okay. Like we know what it is. We we understand it and where it, it sits in religion. So there's one side of like life continues on and it is a cycle in and of itself, or there is the whole side of there is another entire, essentially life to be lived after life. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it's divided into two camps here, right? Mm-hmm. Well, let, let's talk about this from a, a, a strictly religious studies view which isn't talking about religion, just the information that is provided through religion. When I'm saying this, it comes with the disclaimer, like, um, these are not my personal opinions, or these are not, like, I'm not trying to preach to you opinions. This is just information about religion. Mm -hmm. So, um, what, what 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 I understand the Buddhist belief is, is that we are one thing as, as a species. We are one thing. And our souls yearn to be one thing again because we were split mm-hmm. up into a bunch of different pieces and thrown asunder. And to reach enlightenment means you're ready to merge with the great big thing that is trying to be one again. Um, wow. And so when mm. you die, if you were good or if you um, reached enlightenment, you got to go to this great place with everybody who you love, mm-hmm. which is kind of exactly what like Christianity teaches. If you're good, yeah. you get to go to a good place and be with the people you love. Yeah. It's uh, not, it, it's not hard. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not afraid to like personally say I like I'm agnostic at best, like on my best days, I'm agnostic. I don't know. I don't claim to know. I, I'm interested in learning about other people's religions, and I've done a lot of religious studies just out of curiosity of what it is. Um, and a lot of times you can draw lines directly between religions where you're like, oh, they mean this. Oh, yeah. they mean this. Oh, this is the same as this. Oh, this is a messiah? Well, this is a messiah. Like, mm-hmm. And it kind of forms this one blurry picture rather than a bunch of different mosaics which is yeah. interesting. There are definitely a lot of points in religions that you're like, oh, this is, this is interestingly similar. So, yeah. so the, way, the way I kind of see it is there's like three different camps. There's the reincarnation camp, mm-hmm. there's the heaven-hell slash afterlife camp, and there's the third, which is nothing happens. You just, mm-hmm. you know, you're in the ground. Who cares? Um, well, but, even the reincarnation one eventually leads to... Afterlife, like, yeah. Like the, the good place. Right. 
So, so there's there's like two different camps, I guess. Yeah. If you want like to get technical, either something it. happens or nothing happens. Those are your two camps. <laughs> it's all or nothing. <laughs> those are two. Those are the two camps that I feel comfortable settling on. <laughs> but what if there was some way for us to survive our demise in some non-physical form? Hey, I never asked to be born. There are some existential questions in this particular kids movie. Mm-hmm. In classic Pixar style, it goes very, very deep. So as a brief synopsis of this episode, I'll divide it up into sections for you so they're easy to, to uh, digest here. First, we'll talk about various theories on the afterlife, which we already kind of just did. But then, maybe do why, some more of. Which we might do some more of. Who knows? Then I'll talk about why this movie is peak Pixar. Peak Pixar. And after the, mm. Yeah. It's, a, it's an that. alliteration there. Um, and after that, I'll give you some prime cuts of the plot. And then we'll finish up with why this movie is significant, if I haven't already convinced you to entertain this. So, are you guys ready? And this is spoiler-free somehow, right? Spoiler-free, yeah. Sugar-free, spoiler-free, gluten-free, all Relatively spoiler-free. We won't tell you anything you won't find by reading a synopsis somewhere. Correct, yeah. Or a trailer. So, uh, briefly, we got started about death, right? This movie is primarily, I think, about death. And I'll raise some points. And some fun facts to keep you uh, just engaged throughout the film. Just keep these rattling around in your noggin. Maybe you'll rewatch this after this and you'll appreciate it even more. But this is the latest in a long line of films that Disney eyes a difficult subject. It's taking this idea that's so hard to think of and watch and wrap it up in this beautiful technical rope. It's, it's this thing of like people leave this earth every day, but we can make it look just as natural as riding on a conveyor. So I was raised as a Catholic, right? And Michael, you were too. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of the beliefs wrapped around Christianity, I guess, in total, is this uh, the thought of there's heaven and hell, right? And good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. Well, and then there's also the whole side of purgatory as well. There's the purgatory thing too, where you're but burned. Purgatory your, uh, is like the stepping the in-between stone. place. Yes. Like mm-hmm. purgatory is not permanent. That's understood. Like... Correct. Yeah. It's it's the path less traveled by, but it still comes to the end that reaches heaven or hell. Right. Or H E double hockey sticks, as our main character <laughs> likes to say. Ooh. <laughs> and then all the kids are like, Hell, hell, hell. And I'm like, oh Don't my God, say that. You can't say that. <laughs> in the pocket, like in this Pixar movie. That was incredible. But yeah, there there's there's a few different interpretations of what purgatory actually means and Yeah. All that, so. And the truth is, nobody knows. No. <laughs> I remember that when my grandpa died, they were like, yeah, he's in heaven. Um, but then there was like this weird part of the like prayer where I think I like, I was so young, but I had like asked like why we were praying. And somebody was like, because if your grandpa's in purgatory, he has to have a number of prayers before they'll let him out. Ah, uh, yeah, well, there's, there's, the, there's the old Catholic doctrine coming in. <laughs> yeah, they're like, if you're That's if pre-Vatican you're in purgatory, too. We're not talking about that. <laughs> that's crazy, though. Like, they were like, yeah, if you're in purgatory, you have to have, like, so many prayers to buy you out. I'm like, oh, well, purgatory's like jail. The thing is, the thing is, <laughs> before, before the, uh, uh, before being, like, politi- or actually back when it was politicized, before it, it was prayers, it was tithes. Mm-hmm. You have yeah, to have a certain number of tithes. Pay. Yeah. Yeah, you had to like pay to get your loved one's soul out of purgatory. Yeah. Which was used as both a method of taxation as well as conversion of pagan beliefs into the Catholic system. 
because mm-hmm. a lot of pagan beliefs had the belief of actually like like the whole river sticks thing of having to you have to have money to be able to pay your way across the river sticks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and just, some kind of troll. Yeah, religions that were built kind of off of similar concepts. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of, uh, I mean, love it or hate it, religion was a large part of history. So very. Um, there, there's the whole Buddhist belief that there's that's there's a cycle of rebirth, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, reincarnation, as it's called, and Andy Kaufman might come into play here. I don't know. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that's a callback. Something interesting that I remember hearing through some means of grapevine, and if I'm wrong and somebody out there is like, hey, you're wrong, please let me know. Find me on Twitter. I'm Alex Steele for the number real, and you can <laughs> you can throw all your religious knowledge at me. I love soaking up all of that. But something that I heard was... Um, when when it comes to reincarnation there's like this belief that when you start out you start out as like a fly and then if yep. you live a good life as a fly you get to like level up and you get to become like a frog that eats the fly <laughs> and then if you have a good life then you get to level up and you become like the thing that eats the frog and then so on and so forth and then finally like you ascend to being human and then if you live a good life as a human you ascend even further i think mm-hmm. that that's really interesting yeah, I mean, again, who knows? It's just interesting stuff to talk about, frankly. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like throughout the entire history of humans, it's always been a yearning to try and figure out what happens, what what is actually the cause of things outside of our control, and what happens once we're gone. Mm-hmm. Right. So, if death is so certain, why do we fear it? We know it's coming, and everybody does it. Everybody dies. We know this. It's the fear of the unknown. It's mm-hmm. like the the biggest fear everyone has is not knowing and like being thrown into something that you're unsure of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's also I think just, it's just sad. People are afraid to be sad. Yeah. Like, I don't want to lose anyone. Mm-hmm. I don't want to lose anyone I know. I mean, one, one <laughs> not to quote Joseph Stalin here, and I might have to cut this out later, but one death <laughs> is really sad. A million deaths is a statistic. Yeah. I, I don't know if you should keep that in. <laughs> I won't. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know what that has to do with anything. It's a real quote. It can't be a joke. You just quoted Stalin. Stalin said it, and it does have a grain of truth. No matter what he used it to justify it. Okay. Keep every ounce of this in. We are comedy as much as we are uh, educational. (laughs) So there's a there's a natural order to things in in a sense, right? There's uh there's this being in the movie who's called Terry, and he wants to keep things in order. Oh, uh, Terry, Terry Jerry, Terry. Terry, Gary. There are a Terry. couple of different names, right? It's Gary Terry. We'll get to that. We'll get to that in a minute. But Terry is like the accountant, right? He has this big old series of abacuses, abacusi. Yeah, uh, several abacuses that he he's tallying like the totals of souls going to the great beyond, as it's called. Um, and then there's the the idea of a soul at a more rudimentary level. Is there something within you that makes you you? Is there something within us that's unique? Is it is it a personality? Is it this amorphous kind of gas thing that that has a, a name to it or what? Hmm. And I almost think this 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 movie kind of sidesteps the whole nature versus nurture argument yeah. and just throws it in the trash. It says yada 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 is pretty much what it says. The film is like a certain predeterminism, if I may use that word. It's huh. it's these traits that are baked into your very soul. And the more cynical side of this is the fact that 
maybe the deck is stacked against some folks, which let's face it is unfortunately true mm-hmm. um, via, you know, socioeconomic status or ethnicity, at least here in the United States. And not just everyone knows what they want to do with their life from the very beginning. And I think it's silly to even think that anybody knows what they're going to do. They wake up one morning, they're like, oh, I know what my life's about. <laughs> so what a bit of Disney there too. So let's go into why I think this movie is peak Pixar. A little bit about the development before any of the actors are cast and the first storyboards are made. It starts with an idea or a seed of what becomes a movie. So the director of this movie, the writer and director, I think, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but Pete Doctor, right, began developing Soul in January of 2016 as he sought a new creative direction after winning his second Academy Award for Inside Out. Producer Dana Murray recalled, Pete had this feeling, is this it? Do I just do this again? And I don't know whether it was a midlife crisis as much as a midlife what am I doing moment. And Pete Doctor, as you know, is also the director of Monsters, Inc. and Up, two Pixar hits. So a brief sidebar into psychology land, if I may, for just a minute. I'd like you to recall a time when you had this goal in your head and it was it was your sole focus in life. Mm-hmm. And then you achieved it and you felt like kind of the same thing. Like, is this it? Like, am I supposed to be feeling something different? Yeah. Um, it's just a hard one. It is a I hard mean, one because you have to think about like, what was my sole focus at one point and I achieved it and then it, nothing happened, you know? Uh, for me, an easy one to point to is when I started to try and become a web developer. Like I dropped out of school, went and yep. enrolled in like a boot camp, and I was spending 80 to 100 hours a week doing nothing but web development, trying to get my like my mind just to envelop all the concepts and ideas and practices. It's hard. Yeah. Like it was literally all I thought about for about six months. Yeah. And then you achieved it and you're like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. Felt mm-hmm. good for a minute. And then it's like, I mean, <laughs> learning that was, great. was kind of the gift that keeps on giving. Like, yeah, still get to continue learning about it and get to grow with it. And it also helps that I get paid pretty well to do it. So, yeah, it's great. Yeah. I'd say for me, it's it was kind of my um, the lead up to my my promotion at, at work at, at the previous company. But I was putting a whole bunch of effort into it. I made a PowerPoint <laughs> just to keep myself on track. And then you get the promotion. And then afterwards, you're like. Okay, um, that didn't feel as good as I wanted it to. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like you said, it's a gift that keeps on giving. Like, yeah, you get more pay and you get a new fancy title. But I mean, is this it? Do I just keep doing this for the rest of my life? Yeah. <laughs> so smart people call this the arrival fallacy. Mm. It is as soon as you achieve this goal, it will provide me sustained happiness. That's the lie you're telling yourself. It's putting all your eggs in one basket. Ouch. The problem is you always think that you're going to be way happier than you actually are. The anticipation and lead up drives the expected happiness way up there. And then when the thing happens and you're like, oh, okay, that's it. So mm-hmm. to combat this, here's the, you know, uh, life, life hack, if you will. Researchers have said to focus on the here and now. The act of working towards the goal is a better source of sustained happiness. So in other words, you don't win. You just do a little better every time. Mm-hmm. And this is also seen in the movie. So I'm not just whistling Dixie about this just for fun. <laughs> so to start, Dr. pondered the origins of human personalities, as well as the concept of determinism, which is showcased in the film. 
In his first meeting with the co-writer, Mike Jones, Dr. pitched an idea set in a place beyond space and time, where souls are given their personalities. And even in Pixar's dumbest movies, they hit you somewhere where you didn't expect. So, why is that? Do they, do they have a secret sauce or something? Thankfully, it's rhetorical. somebody wrote these down. He, tells us. <laughs> he just goes silent when he wants answers. <laughs> <laughs> it all centers around a good story, right? That should go without saying. Duh. Um, there are 22 rules of a Pixar film. Mm. So is that ringing any bells to anyone? Yeah, I remember hearing this in a documentary. Yep. This is their secret sauce. This is what the Big Mac um, sauce that they put on all of their burgers and movies. Um, I won't go through them One all, night, but Steve Jobs just... took a bunch of opioids, took down a pizza <laughs> box, and weirdly enough, a chisel and hammer, and he wrote down the 22 rules for Pixar. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> yes, Steve Jobs. He's the reason I don't Pixar know who wrote exists, it. my man. That's yeah, true. Yeah. So, of course, it was him. It's pretty cool. You want to tell that story? Because I don't remember it. Yeah, Apple entirely. was like, hey, Steve, we've had enough of your shit. You need to leave. <laughs> and he was like, I don't want to leave. I built this company from the ground up. And they were like, shut up. Get out. And he was like, okay, fine, then. I'm just going to invest in this company that's making computer movies. <laughs> and he did. And then he kind of took over there like he did at Apple. And then a couple years later, after he built Pixar into being this giant, awesome monster that it became, Apple was like, hey, it turns out that we suck without you. Will you come back? And he was like, yeah, idiots. (laughs) And then he left Pixar to be Pixar. And then he got back into Apple and became the spokesperson for Apple again. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And you also didn't mention John Lasseter, but he's kind of like... I didn't mention Steve Wozniak either, and nobody ever does. (laughs) <laughs> nobody ever does he built the damn computers himself it's not, wrote all the code for every apple let's get back to this sorry <laughs> okay <laughs> the 22 rules right yeah. the, we'll start off with number one you admire a character for trying more than their successes that's showcased by like wally right the mm-hmm. wally movie yeah the second one here is you got to keep in mind what's interesting to your audience not what's fun to do as a writer they can be very different mm as showcased in maybe cars. I won't go through them all. You can look them up on your own time, but trying for a theme is important, but you won't see what the story is actually about till you're at the end. Now rewrite. Sorry, this is hard to read. Okay, cool. Once upon a time, there was a blank. Every day, blank. One day, blank. Because of that, blank. Until finally, blank. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, simplify, focus, combine characters. Hop over detours. You'll feel like you're losing valuable stuff, but it sets you free. I mean, that's like in pretty much every movie. How many mm-hmm. how many Pixar characters can you actually rattle off the top of your head? Probably only the two or three main characters, right? There's not a that there's none of that focus on the background characters, but um, um, I'll I'll tell you, I could probably name like eight characters from Toy Story. No, oh, well, that's different. <laughs> yeah, because there's a lot of toys. There are a yeah. lot of rules, and I'm regretting telling you to read them all. So never mind. Yeah. Okay. It's like he said there were 22 of them. Yeah. There's 22 of them. <laughs> yeah, I thought that it'd be I thought it'd be fun to just read them all off real quick, but they're all really long and need broken down. We could do an entire episode on the 22 rules of Pixar. In fact, never mind. Scrap mm-hmm. it. We're gonna do an entire episode on this later. Go, go, go. Okay. <laughs> okay, we're doing the rules in a different episode. As Alex, my manager, has just told no, me. It'll it'll make um, for good podcasting later. Everybody, ignore the last yeah, okay. 30 seconds. All right, back to your script. A lot of it has to do with like storytelling, in my view, mm-hmm. and how to write a story, which I know nothing about, unfortunately. 
and I don't have to because I don't write stories. You wrote one story. So how about that? For Halloween. Mm -hmm. That's that's true, but that was once. (laughs) So (laughs) before I read the twenty-two rules of Pixar. Fair enough. So it's probably pretty bad. So people have told me it was pretty good. People told you that was bad. No, I told myself that. Stop that. And I'll stand by it. Goddamn. I wouldn't. Consider, Just kidding. I, I really enjoyed the movie it. We're talking about. I would not stand by that. It goes into very. <laughs> it goes into very specific details about people who just stand by poor opinions on themselves. <laughs> right. That's uh. You know that one other character, twenty two. Yeah. Where do you think they got that? Twenty two. The number. Come on. Is it twenty two rolls of Pixar? Mm-hmm. Boom! It's right there. Mm-hmm. Easter eggs. Anyway, so let's go to the prime cuts of the plot. Mm-hmm. This is where we start the meats and potatoes, right? The meats mm-hmm. and also the potatoes. Or the tofu and... Nope, um, let's just keep going. Okay, <laughs> I would do my best not to wholesale spoil every piece of the plot, but in order to, for this discussion to make sense, I have to sprinkle in some kind of essence. So there's, there's Joe Gardner, right? He's the music teacher... Who has these dreams of becoming a jazz musician? Played by Jamie Foxx. And the, played by Jamie Foxx. Thank you very much. There's also 22, who is a soul stuck in the great before. Played by Tina Fey. Played by Tina Fey. And there are also a lot of minor characters too that we aren't going to talk about. But basically, one of them was played by David Diggs. All right, let's go. Ooh. Who's that? David Diggs. Which character he was is the that? original Thomas Jefferson from Hamilton. Drop some Broadway knowledge on you. And he was uh, Lafayette too. Alexander Hamilton. I just said he was in the cast of <laughs> Hamilton, but yes, you are correct. He was Lafayette. No, you said he was the original Thomas Jefferson and Lafayette. Ah, correct. Yeah. I did say that. All right. Cool. Well, you can't be both. He can be both. He can be both. Okay, I guess you can. I don't know how theater <laughs> works. Um. <laughs> and then later in the oh, in the musical, he's like, "Have you forgotten Lafayette?" And he's like, "That that's that's you." That <laughs> actually it, it me, you Lafayette. guys. It me. Wait, are you Thomas Jefferson? <laughs> are you are you fucking with me right now? <laughs> the plot twist of the century. They're actually the same person. <laughs> That's true. It actually happened in history. Um but Joe <laughs> Joe gets Joe gets what he always wanted. He gets a gig at a jazz club with the famous musician Dorothea Williams, mm-hmm. who is famous or something. I think she's actually based off a real uh jazz character at some point in history. Maybe Maybe Aretha Franklin. She was a singer. This is a sax player, but it's possible. Yeah, they just you know you know how Pixar does. They just splice from everything and then put it in a blender and cook it for five minutes. But uh, anyways, he he gets excited, right? He's gonna be famous or something. He finally gets his big break. He gets excited. He calls everyone up on the phone. He's like, "I'm so happy!" Yada 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 yada. And then he falls down a manhole, yep. <laughs> leading to his death. Which they show on the trailer, mark. so no spoilers yet. Right. Right. No spoilers yet. I'll mark that on the uh, report card, I guess. What am I talking about? Uh, he has a near-death experience, maybe. He falls maybe. into a manhole and dies. And he is sent onto Correct. the conveyor belt to the great beyond. Yeah. It's almost like one of those airport people movers. Yeah. Except drawn with lines um, and set in a field of stars, which is kind of cool, I guess. Um, but his soul leaves his body. Uh, it's it's this great beyond what we might call an afterlife. It's there's this bright light at the end, and he's not having it. So he jumps off, and he lands in the great before, where he meets twenty two, and some other Apple Finder icon looking people. Like seriously, look at it. Look at the look at the soul 
Look at the people in charge of the great beyond. Now look at the finder icon on your desktop. It's the same. Same thing. Mm-hmm. The same. Um, anyways, <laughs> but uh, th- these are the caretakers of the great before and the great beyond, which damn, this art style is just so cool at this place. And they make a nod to, hey, we're just a random string theory, cosmic gobbledygook representation of what puny humans can follow along. So there's kind of this tongue-in-cheek reference to like, yeah. hey, this is all kind of made up, right? I mean, it's not real or anything. This is all just the universe, blah, blah, blah. She, she literally says like, I'm taking a form that your puny human brain can understand. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, didn't you make me? Why are you being mean? <laughs> and it could be like completely subjective based on the person that's in the great beyond or before so there could be a, another different universe based on who's experiencing it and who's the main character mm-hmm. uh but that's just a theory a game theory. he eventually just kidding hey wait, i thought we weren't gonna say that <laughs> but eventually he gets tasked joe gardner the main character gets tasks with helping 22 find her spark that's the last little piece of the the puzzle inside their soul um sticker form thing the badges right they're, it's like little, badges, they get yes. like little girl scout badges they get a bunch of different yeah. so when they go into these like kiosks that give them their personalities and by the way it seemed like every personality that was shelled out while we were watching the movie were bad ones like <laughs> all of them <laughs> says like, who they're like okay you go be like antisocial. okay you go be aloof okay you go be this and it's like all of these sound terrible and then one of them was like, yeah, we just sent a whole group into the, like, manically depressed, uh, like, the manically depressed one. And one of the, like, Uh-oh. one of the Jerry's are like, we should really stop sending people there. <laughs> <laughs> and it's very self-aware, but also very strange. But that's what makes up all of their, like, Girl Scout patches is the stuff they get in those kiosks. Right. All but except for one. Mm-hmm. There's There's six in total. Um, five they get just by, you know, doing their thing, going around to the kiosk. But six, the sixth one is the most important one. It's the spark. And that's, maybe you'd call this the will to live. But that that was my half-baked summary of just, like, the rising action. Yeah. There's other stuff that happens. There's more characters. But that's all spoilers. So the question is, like, I mean, the big the big conflict is, to kind of understand what you're, like, following along with, is how does Joe right. Gardner get back to his body and yep. play his show live his life right that's what you're following yeah i, I didn't have that in the in the thing here i probably should have that's so okay. thank you for rounding that no out <laughs> that's why we're here <laughs> but that's that's what he's got to do he's got to get back to his body and he also as a secondary kind of motivator i guess is help 22 find her spark which is kind of Odd that they're gendering souls, but you know. Well, whatever. no, they don't gender the souls. They go into that. They talk about how, uh, like, she has the voice of Tina Fey, and he's like, "Why do you Correct. sound like a like middle aged woman?" And she's like, "Well, I can sound like anything. I can sound like Tina Fey, or I can sound like this, and like turns into an old man voice." And it's like, <laughs> "Oh, I can sound like this," and like has a baby voice. And she goes, "But this voice seems to annoy the most people, so I go with it." <laughs> 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 and then I watch. I watched in the credits, and it was like some line contributions from Tina Fey. I was like, yeah, Tina Fey fucking wrote that line. You can't tell me she didn't. There's a little tongue-in-cheek jabs at the voice actor, I guess. Mm-hmm. Self-aware uh, comedy in a way. Yeah. So, like, the, there's no gender. Just, like, she she chose that voice. Or they, right. rather, chose that voice. 
Got it. Okay. Thank you for explaining yeah, that. Yeah, no worries. Um, Sorry. I just watched the movie 30 minutes ago, so... <laughs> this is all fresh. So I watched it like a month ago. <laughs> I think, uh, really, what this story is about is a near-death experience. That's just my thought. In the end, at the end of the movie, of course, I he's, you know... I think you're being a little black and white there. He dies. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. He's dead. Then why does he wake up in a hospital bed, huh? Because he... I mean, basically what they're saying is, is like, until you enter that light, you're not dead, oh. dead. And he refuses to enter that light. But like, he was dead. He was supposed to go into that. <laughs> I thought face. you guys said this is going to be spoiler free. <laughs> it's not a spoiler it that he dies. They show you that in the trailer. No, but you just said he wakes up in a hospital bed. <laughs> that is oh, also not a spoiler, weirdly enough. <laughs> What? Yeah, th- I think they show that in like trailer two. Look it up. <laughs> but uh, here, let me throw you off course because this is technically true. He does okay. not wake up in a hospital bed. He does not. Oh, oh, I see what you mean. Okay. Okay. Hmm. Cool. I'm just gonna go watch the movie now. <laughs> yeah, now you're yeah, you're pretty definitely. There you go. Hey, Michael, did, entertain this. I did your job. <laughs> He's gonna yeah. go watch it now. I'm All out right. for the podcast. Yeah. I'm just gonna go watch the movie now. End of podcast, guys. Thanks. But the real big question here is, what is the meaning of life? How do you find purpose? Is it fate? So here's something I want to add in. Um, you started this by saying uh, this movie is about death. Sure. I would say... It's more about life. I would say Pixar has avoided it being about death completely. Um, hmm. Because there are no developed characters who, who died in this movie. Like, you're not dealing with the spirit of death. In fact, you only deal with the death aspect for a, about five to ten minutes. And then he is right. put into the land of new souls who are going to Earth. And from that point on, they don't talk about death. Right. It's Di- just the great Dying beyond. is a plot point that is quickly forgotten. So I would argue, yes, yes. like you said, this is a movie about life. It's a movie about life and finding purpose in life. Yeah. So I just turned the, the, the turns have tabled. Sure have. The, the tables have turned. Correct. Um, are there some things that you're just going to do time after time? And we're getting kind of into, I guess, philosophical determinism. Determinism? I do like when we turn into philosophize this. Philosophy, <laughs> philosophize this. Cut all this out. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I floss every day, I'll say it. Um, but once again... That was a good joke. <laughs> do we have free will, or are we just a train on a track that always we've, ends up in the same station? We've had this conversation before. We've had the free we will have. conversation. Do you remember when, or for what reason? It was for our very first episode. It was about Bioshock. Yeah. You asked us. You You're said, right. do we have free will? And then I said, I don't know. And then you said, I don't know either. <laughs> so I talked about last week, uh, just to kind of round it, Jim Carrey had a line in Jim and Andy 
which was the documentary they did, where he said, Mm -hmm. do I have free will? He said, I don't know. He said, "Uh, if I were to drink tea right now, am I choosing to drink the tea or am I drinking it because I'm thirsty? Um, So kind of what he's getting at is you're not really free to do anything. You follow your urges and who determines that, but like the needs of your body. So are you free? It depends on your definition. No, yeah, now you're just getting into like, oh, we're just monkeys that just follow our urges all the time. But that's not exactly true. If you follow that like chain of thought down the rabbit hole, because if we were just monkeys that followed our urges, then a lot of people would be dead. <laughs> Somebody cuts me off in traffic, I'd be like, you want to <laughs> shoot him a couple times. I think when we wake up every day, for the most part, our goal is to survive to sleep in whatever means possible, which means we go to work so that we can buy food and we can eat. Um, right. A a younger prepubescent Alex would argue that everything relates back to sex. Like you can literally take any choice you make in a given day and track it back to <laughs> it leading to reproduction. Um, okay, Sigmund Freud. I mean, you read one book and suddenly <laughs> you know it all. But I feel like we're getting off track uh, in terms of this movie, which is to say... Um, everything is a choice, I think is what this Correct. movie is kind of putting out there. Even even death, in this case, seems to be a choice. Yeah, believe it or not, death is a choice. Some people are dying quicker than others. <laughs> Let's face that fact. Um, but the film isn't going to give everyone a boilerplate step-by-step description on how to achieve purpose in life. That's something for you to find. That's your spark. You find your own spark in life. Um, you don't have to be the inventor of the next iPhone. You can simply be that person who's a friend to so-and-so or the dude that really likes trains, and that's good enough for me. <laughs> so I feel like you made a really important point earlier on in the podcast. Um, you talked about that, that phrase um, that medical professionals use. Uh, what was that phrase right. again? The arrival fallacy? Is the that arrival fallacy. I think that the arrival fallacy completely dictates the plot of this. I would be shocked to hear that the writers had never heard about that because I think the main lesson that you take away is exactly what your definition kind of explained to us, which is um, you don't find life in the big victories. You find it in the mm-hmm. small moments that lead to the big victories. And right. if you're ignoring all of that stuff, you're going to miss a lot of shit anywhere from like, you're going to miss, um, like you're going to miss playing the piano with your father all the way to like, you're going to miss a goddamn manhole being open in the middle of the street. <laughs> like you're going to miss it all if you don't pay attention, which is yeah. like the, the kind of leading uh, the what's leading the charge of the this movie? I think that that perfectly nails it. I think in that definition alone, you've kind of explained the movie. Yeah, it's almost like climbing a mountain. the The mountain is your goal, and you got to put the ice pick in the side of that mountain one at a time, all the way up until you reach the top. And then once you're at the top, you see another mountain, and you got to go climb that one too. It's it's a dumb metaphor, but it made sense at the time. So there's another thing that the film brings up. That's called, uh, they call it going into the zone. Is there, is there kind of an activity that you guys really enjoy that you can just get in the zone with? I remember back in my theater days, um, it was set design, which is super weird. 
but I used to be able to look at an empty set and run around and build the set in my mind. Like, this is going to go here. This will go here. This can have a window. Like, this can go this far back. We can use this material to build this, that, and the other. To the point where I'm, like, painting the set onto the stage with my mind. And watching the movie, like, that is the only time that I can relate that to. Yeah, I think Michael... I know what Michael was going to say. But I want to hear it from his mouth. So, it, I have a definition of in the zone that is basically where I, like can zone out and only focus on what exactly I'm doing. Is that pretty similar or? Yeah, no, that's it. Okay. Uh, first thing that came to mind was sleeping. I'm really good at that. Um, but <laughs> uh, for me, it's, it's different video games. Um, like there, there's certain video games where it's like that I know very well and that I've played enough. Like a good example one for me is like overwatch where it's mm-hmm. like, I just completely lose track of everything else going on around me. And all I'm focusing on is like the immediate of what needs to happen in the game. Hmm. That's interesting. I thought you were going to say coding gets you into the zone. Maybe it doesn't. It kind of does. But at the same time, I feel like there's enough stuff outside of coding that has to come into play with it that I have to remember about that. I can't afford to like really zone in on it. Yeah. I don't know if I could point to one particular activity, but I I might say it's drawing because mm-hmm. it's just you and the piece of paper and, you know, you're drawing implements, whether that's pen or pencil. And that's all there can be, really. And maybe a reference picture if, if you're artsy, fartsy like that. Um, but the kids might call this a vibin. Maybe. <laughs> you, um, <laughs> you increase your age with every conversation that we have. <laughs> I feel like every single week we need to just add a slightly more of a filter to turn your voice into like an old man voice. <laughs> <laughs> that by like in another year you just back in my day. <laughs> I don't think we drove Model Ts everywhere. I don't think vibing is exactly what you're going for. No, it's probably not. Vibing, but it's pretty close. Vibing is more living in the more moment, of a mood being yeah. aware of everything and enjoying everything that's happening that's vibing this is almost the polar right. opposite when you're in the zone this zone that they're talking about you are so engulfed with passion for what you're doing that nothing else matters and you're able to lose yourself uh, for our main character joe it's when he plays piano he plays mm-hmm. to the point where in the movie everything around him goes blue and he, it's just him and the piano, and that's that's all that matters. It's just him and the piano as he plays it. Um, mm-hmm. And that is the quote-unquote zone where he's most, uh, where he's at his closest to his soul, which is uh, to say he projects into kind of the soul world doing the thing that he loves. A right. funny example of this is um, the character 22 talks about how she's been there or rather they've been there sorry for um thousands and thousands of years and she spent oh she said yeah i spent the last millennia messing with this team and she throws a rock at a guy going up for a slam dunk and when the rock hits him he misses the slam dunk and it shows that it was a knicks player <laughs> and she was fucking up the knicks team for centuries <laughs> so every time they got in the zone she would throw them out of the zone so that's kind of is that is that true? 
that the Knicks are terrible. <laughs> yeah, they always choke. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So okay, I don't I don't know anything about sports. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. Uh this movie has some comedic moments, I'll say that much, but to to kind of throw another vocab term at you. Uh the zone is called a flow state in psychology mm. and it's defined as the mental state in which a person performing some activity is fully immersed in a feeling of energized focus, full involvement and enjoyment of the process of the activity. In essence, flow is characterized by the complete absorption in what one does and a resulting transformation in one's sense of time. So that's like when you look up at the clock, you're like, oh, I didn't realize it was already eight o'clock because mm-hmm. you're doing the thing that you were in the flow state for. And then there's also another thing in the zone that's called lost souls. Uh, and Alex, do you want to you kind of describe this scene for me? Yeah, so... When they first introduced Lost Souls, I mean, it kind of lost me for a second. Um, But what it kind of describes it as, the Lost Souls are people who, um, they're kind of the opposite of being in the zone. They Mm -hmm. haven't done their passion in a while, or they've not experienced this, like, deep connection to their uh, inner spark. And because of that, they've, like, lost their way and become wanderers. And their souls have kind of been lost in uh, this wandering state, being basically consumed by the world around them. Right. And that's when these people called the Mystics Without Borders come along and they're, <laughs> they're kind of whimsical, uh, what would you call it, an old pirate ship or something like well, that? They're kind they're, of floating around this valley so their leader of lost this, souls. Yeah, their leader is this like whimsical guy with this giant mustache and this huge bushy beard and... He's uh, riding around on a what I would call like a hippie era pirate ship. If that makes sense. <laughs> it's got tie dye on the sails yeah, and everything. Tie dye yeah. sails. Its anchor is just a giant peace sign, and what their job is is to force people out of these funks and back into their zone. Um, right. They almost poke them or do like a ritual or something on them, and they're like, "Oh!" They would snap out of it. Like there's the one scene with a stockbroker or whatever. He's looking at the computers going, uh, and then all of a sudden he gets poked and it's like, whoa, yeah, he's like, <laughs> like back in it. Runs he's out of the office. Manager, yeah. Ironically. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Um, man, I, I think that like the, the whole mystics without borders, that's, I mean, clearly it's hippies. Okay. Maybe they're experimenting with psychedelic drugs, uh, which allows them to sail between the realms of life and death freely. It's a perspective of maybe the outsider on the life, which is very important. There's the whole um, third-person perspective that a lot of people talk about when it comes to this kind of stuff. It's seeing your life from a different point of view, not just like the first person, for instance. Um, it's almost like life flashing before your eyes in a way. So the... Outsiders make up uh, mostly of monks who are in deep meditation, I will say. Correct. So the hippie thing kind of only goes with their leader, who uh, I'm not going to spoil Moonwind. the movie. But yeah, Moonwind, uh, he is different from the others, but he is also somehow the... Weirdly enough, like I think when talking like meditation and stuff, you immediately kind of go to the Buddhist religion, but... So we'll yeah. say, uh, weirdly, um, what was his name again? Moon? Moonwind, yeah. Moonwind is the closest to enlightenment, which is strange. Because yes. everybody else everybody else involved in this, they're like monks who are like 
in deep meditation and they're meditating somewhere doing this that, and the other and he is not like that there's different ways of meditation there's multiple paths to enlightenment sure mm-hmm. um but you'll have to watch the movie to figure out what makes him so yeah. different it's very important he's he's a little different it's it's a little funny too uh Anyways, I think that maybe you can make the assumption that this is masquerading as a coming-of-age film because Joe Gardner gets the full-time job. He gets the benefits, the health care, the 401k, and all that. But it isn't all that. <laughs> Nobody works a 40-hour-a-week job and loves every minute of it. Let's face that fact. Mm-hmm. And it highlights the importance of hobbies or things that allow you to express yourself and show your soul to the world. So with that... Let me just go to the movie, the, the part of this episode, which I would like to say is why this movie is so significant. Because it not only does it bring up all these incredible subjects, but right underneath the veil of a movie made for young people is the big question, what is the meaning of life? And outside of that, it has an African-American protagonist, which is huge for mm-hmm. Pixar and especially Disney because um, in the past, Disney has not been so kind to... Um, different uh, ethnicities mm-hmm. um, <laughs> through no, their I cartoons mean, or the, otherwise. From what I saw, he is the first black uh, protagonist for a Pixar movie and only the second uh, black protagonist for any Disney movie. With right. the first being uh, the princess from The Princess and the Frog. Yeah. Oh, wow. Anyways, this is an animated Pixar. So the filmmakers chose to make a character African-American as they felt it made sense due to how closely, you know, these group of people are tied to jazz history. I mean, think about it. One of the first people to do the genre of jazz, I mean, go back in time. Who wrote The Entertainer? Do you know? Uh, Scott Joplin. And, I mean, it's been heard time and time again. Oh, they got soul, right? They always, you know. It's a big, yeah, it's, it's one of those jargon words. Oh, it's all about soul. Um, but it wasn't done you know, because they haven't done it before. They were just, they weren't just trying to push some diversity and inclusion liberal agenda. It just made more sense to do this, but it's also a great thing to see more people of color in films. We want to see this stuff. We don't want crusty old white people in all of our films. Cause that's kind of boring. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's also an exhibition on black culture done in the correct way, but you can make the argument that it's cultural appropriation. And I'm not here to say whether it's there, that or not. Just mentioning it offhand, as some people might see it that way. And it's a story where the protagonist just happens to be black. It doesn't happen because he's black. Mm -hmm. And it avoids stereotypes, too. But ultimately, I think it's a story about sacrifice. It's it's giving up one's life for a friend. It's mentorship. Self-sacrifice of your parents, giving up a little bit of their life to raise you. Or maybe it's just showcasing the importance of mentorship in the first place. And I think we all need somebody to show us the ropes. It's the first thing you do when you find a new job. You find somebody that can help you navigate the ins and outs of the office political climate. So, in conclusion to all this, you didn't choose to be born. Neither did I. (laughs) That's a great conclusion. (laughs) 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 That's incredible. What's so funny? Oh my god! What? You cut out. You What'd cut I do? Out. You went in conclusion. <laughs> in conclusion, you weren't chosen. To, you didn't choose to be born, and neither did I. And then silence. <laughs> <laughs> For like ten seconds. 
<laughs> well, it was just like, like, in conclusion, you didn't choose to be born, and neither did I. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to be alive. <laughs> and then silence. <laughs> oh, just kidding. It's just Alex and I like could feel the connection through Discord of us just staring at each other like, is this it? he's right (laughs) no that's where i'm gonna end it we're done okay i'm just kidding if you could go back to the great before would you choose to be alive in the first place Mm. no i don't think so i think that it It seems like a hassle i feel like 22 was a very specific case perhaps yeah just like i mean life's pretty good in the before maybe maybe i don't want to keep alive a meat vehicle it's really not that great (laughs) <laughs> it's it's blank but, it's nothing you you get told what to do and then you get stuck like i think the reason 22 existed so long in the great beyond was because somehow 22 had built a portal to the zone um <laughs> like that's the main difference and because of that it's a very specific case when you say that we didn't choose to be born i, I mean they would argue that we did because we all made the leap to earth or whatever that's true you made the leap of faith um but I don't think that there's anything worthwhile in the great beyond or in the great before. I mean, at least for us. Yeah. On the flip side of that, the the positive side, I guess, is there are awesome sensations that the world just provides that mere souls cannot feel, assuming right. the rules of soul are true. There's sight and sound, which a soul automatically has, apparently. And then a body provides taste, touch, and smell. The other three senses, which happen to be, you know, pretty important to a lot of things. Even pizza. <laughs> yeah. Pizza is good. Pizza mm-hmm. is good. Um, but this film goes to show that it's the little things in life, the things that are so often ignored or taken for granted, are the things that make life worth living. It's the sun on your face, the taste of a good slice of pizza, those one wipe poops, when you comb your hair just right, and whatever you choose to do with your life... Your spark is your business. Whether you're climbing Mount Everest or experiencing your first slice of pizza or sitting and listening to a podcast. Thanks. I'm happy you're doing whatever you're doing. And I want listeners to know that I appreciate you taking a few moments out of your life and listening for this episode. So if you feel like taking the plunge into existential dread or sitting back and enjoying a cinematically beautiful kids movie with no prefrontal lobe processing, you can do that too. You might even have a laugh or two along the way. But I think Soul, streaming now on Disney Plus, is well worth you entertaining this. Ba-dum-dum. I liked it. Play the, mm-hmm. play the jazz music. Do you have jazz music? Do you guys like jazz? You like jazz? Yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> I can appreciate it. Anyways, that's all I got. Go watch uh, Soul. Yeah, it's streaming now on... Uh... Disney Disney Plus. Disney Plus. Uh we're gonna Which take you can a get for just six dollars a month. Or you can get the login from your friend who pays for it. Modern day yeah, pirate. Right. You wouldn't download a car. When we get back uh from this little break, um I have a quick this that I'm pretty jazzed about. In the meantime, uh Ooh. we're gonna we're gonna split for a quick second, give you guys a little listening break. Uh we're gonna throw it over to Confusingly enough, another Nick who will uh, do a small movie review for us. He's doing a little short series where he reviews uh, festival uh, movie festival movies that have come out this year uh, because 
movie festivals just ain't happening the way they used to. But we'll get into that <laughs> uh, in the future. Until then, uh, we'll be right back. Well, stop the presses, ladies and gentlemen. I must interrupt this uh, broadcast uh, with an important announcement. My name is Nick. I am not that Nick. I am this Nick. I am a different Nick. And over the course of the next few episodes of Entertain This, I will be popping in intermittently to basically give you guys many bite-sized reviews of a couple films, more specifically films that I viewed at the Sundance Film Festival this year. It was pretty much all online as a result of all the shenanigans happening in our world today, and I was able to check out a number of flicks that I think you guys should uh, have on your radar or at least hear about. Uh, and this is all leading up to an episode coming up here in the next month or so where we will be discussing the ever-changing shift in the entertainment industry as now we're seeing more streaming platforms, uh, films going to theaters and streaming on the same day and date, and this paradigm shift that we are seeing in how we are consuming film, television, mainly film, in this day and age as a result of the pandemic and what that may mean for the future of cinema. So be looking forward to that in a future episode of Entertain This. But leading up to that, I'm going to be dropping you little bite-sized morsels of some films that I saw at this year's Sundance Film Festival. So let's get started. So let us tarry no further. Let me dive right into the first film I saw at the Sundance Film Festival, which coincidentally was one of my more anticipated ones of the festival, and that is a little film called In the Earth, written and directed by Ben Wheatley. The synopsis reads as follows. As the world searches for a cure to a disastrous virus, a scientist and park scout venture deep in the forest for a routine equipment run. Now, if this sounds like a, you know, a sort of a side quest in a RPG video game, do not let that deter you. There is a lot more happening here than the synopsis would lead you to believe. And I think that that synopsis uh, gives you a false sense of security as to what you're about to walk into. Uh, this film is not unlike many other films, not only at Sundance, but also at other film festivals coming up like South by in which they are they are tapping into a lot of what's happening globally with this whole pandemic that we are in not only that this film was written shot and completed last year during the pandemic director Ben Wheatley began writing the film on day one of lockdown in the UK and began shooting the very first day lockdowns were lifted over the summer so given the, con the, the extreme constraints this film was made in, you already out of the gate have to give it major props for executing what it does, given just the state of the world that we were in. Uh, this movie is, um, well, it's, it's a bizarrely disorienting descent into the woods, um, complete with an overwhelming cacophony of auditory and visual overload, right? Uh, the, the sound design in this movie is just really uncomfortable and really just it taps into something that feels kind of primal uh it gets under your skin and the visuals are trippy as hell um add on top of that some truly gnarly gore and you have what i would say is a mainly satisfying film it has moments that feel like midsummer from ari aster and it also has moments from what i think m night Shyamalan was hoping that the happening would be 
Um, so I think that this movie is kind of a perfect marriage of those things while not being nearly as good as Midsommar. Um, there are a lot of visual callbacks and things that will remind you of Midsommar. And there is a lot of stuff as it, as it pertains to ecology and just the earth and plants that will make you think, okay, I, I could see what maybe M. Night Shyamalan was wanting to do with that idea, but I think this movie executes it a little bit better. Um, like I said, given the constraints that they had while filming, it's very, it's it's admirable to see the type of film that they were able to um, to accomplish given those constraints. Now, whether or not I think Ben Wheatley wrote this script with those filming constraints in mind, I, I don't know, that remains to be seen. But when you watch this film, you can clearly see it was made by someone that was completely in control of his craft. The cinematography was fantastic. The sound design is outstanding. As the movie progresses, the music and sound are amped up to a whole new level, and it just becomes this sort of transcendent, out-of-body kind of experience. Now, I was hoping for a little bit more in the story department to really drive home uh, the entire film and round out the third act, but it never fully delivers. The film doesn't quite know on what side of the fence it plans on planting its flag, and to me, it suffers for that decisiveness. It kind of leaves you on a note of, well, what do you think, audience? And for me personally, this film, I don't think earns that sort of ambiguity. So for that, I kind of have to dock it a bit. But this film was uh, financed and will be distributed by the company Neon. So be looking forward to a limited, probably theatrical run. And if not, it's going to end up on Hulu because Neon and Hulu have some sort of agreement it seems because all their movies are on Hulu these days so be looking for this one it's definitely worth a trip um, <laughs> it may not be everyone's cup of tea and I can definitely say if you are even mildly sensitive to strobe lights this movie very may very well kill you to be quite frank hey what's up we're back for you guys, hey. something happened in between there. For us, there was silence, and Michael raised his eyebrow at me in a way of saying, like, <laughs> all right, now what? <laughs> now what indeed, Michael? This is what. It's quick this. We need a quick this uh -oh. intro for this, where it's like... We do have an intro. It's called the Lo-Fi Entertain... Well, you know what it is. Yeah, you but, just heard it. But we need one where I can be like, it's quick this, and then it's like... And then we... Okay, Do I'll it. go hire a saxophone player. Okay. Yeah, just show him that and tell him to, yeah. to make that. If anybody can do that for do us, that'd be great. Okay. Just, uh, just do the thing. <laughs> just do the thing for us. Okay, so I'm going to start my quick this starting right now. Okay, so I want to talk about something that is affecting the entertainment industry, but in and of itself is also a little entertaining if you're keeping up with it. And that is what's going on on Wall Street right now, are you guys aware at all of the kind of uh, Wall Street thing that we have going on? Yes, I've seen I, the memes. I am on the internet, so yes, Great. I do know. <laughs> so just a quick overview for anybody who lives under a rock. First off, get Wi-Fi. Rocks need Wi-Fi too. And second off, uh, there's a little website that's meant for entertainment known as Reddit. Now, what Reddit is, is it's a social media-esque platform, but really it's full of uh, forums and forums are yeah, places where people can post and talk about things that they have interest in. It's advertised as the front page of the internet. Correct. Which I'd say is accurate. Mm -hmm. It's a place where I'm sure, Nick, you spend a lot of time. Yes, unfortunately. 
So <laughs> there is a forum on this website known as Wall Street Bets. Uh, Wall Street Bets used to kind of be this harmless subreddit where people talked about places where you could invest and had quick turnarounds or that looked like they were going up. Uh, it's basically a place where people were stupid with their money uh, and put it all on red. And then some people <laughs> lost money, some people made money off Wall Street bets, but they, t- they treated Wall Street like a casino is what they did. That is until somebody figured out what shorting was. What shorting is is hedge funds basically are taking companies that are going out of business and that they know they can make a quick buck off of, and they're saying, hey, let me borrow, like, five stocks from you, just for example. Uh, Let me borrow, like, five stocks from you. Their current value is $5, but I think I can hype this up, and we can make it $10. And the company's like, great, borrow the stocks. So these hedge funds will go, and they'll sell these stocks for $10 to people who are looking to invest in businesses that look like they're increasing. Um, And these hedge funds make it look like that. So they sell these stocks to, let's say, like, us three. We buy these stocks. And then the hedge funds wait until the market starts dropping again on these dying businesses. And what they do at that point, instead of helping the businesses like they promised, they buy back the stocks that they borrowed at a lower value than they sold to us. So if it was $10 to us, they wait until it gets down to, like, $2, and then they buy it back from us, from these borrowed shares. And then they turn to the company and they go, sorry, I couldn't do anything with it. Here you go. Here are your stocks back. And the company's like, you didn't help me at all. My stocks went down. They're like, yeah, sorry. And the, they do that basically until the company goes bankrupt and is run into the ground. They do not care about the company. They care about the money they can make off the stock. So hedge funds have gotten into two that are very entertainment-based. And this is why I'm saying... This revolves back into entertainment. Uh, and that is GameStop and AMC are mm-hmm. two on the list. These are companies that were hit hard by the pandemic. People not going out and shopping, people not going out and seeing movies. And because of that, their stocks have dropped uh, immensely. If you look at the past year, it's straight down. So these hedge funds went in and they decided they're going to borrow a whole bunch of shares and they're going to sell them to us at a premium wait until they drop down even more, then they're going to buy them back from us at a lower price, capitalize on all of that money that they made, the difference between uh, where they sold them and where they bought them, that all belongs to them, and they are going to give the back to the companies and watch the companies basically suffer. Even better is if they can somehow drive these companies to zero because then they don't actually have to pay taxes on the money they make off the stocks. Because... There are no stocks for them to tax if the company no longer exists. Hmm. Wall Street Bets comes in and they go, okay, so what happens if instead of letting the price of the stock drop to where they can buy them back, we all put all of our money into these companies that we love and we force the price to go way, way up to the point where... To the moon. To the moon even. To the point where these hedge funds have to buy back at a loss. What happens? What they found out happened is something called a short squeeze. So what a short squeeze did was it forced these hedge funds because the hedge funds have to get the stocks back to give them back to the company. That's like step two of this process. 
So if they sell them at $10 and then Wall Street bets came in and they forced that price to go up to like $30, $40, that $30 that the hedge fund just lost goes straight into AMC stocks. And they keep buying into AMC stocks. And the price of that stock keeps going up and up and up and up. And as that stock is going up, I'm just using AMC as an example, but AMC gets the money to pay off all of their debts and gets the money to reopen and rehire people and hire like new heads of certain aspects that they had lost before and basically get revivified to the point where they're up and running again. That happened recently. Uh, AMC mm-hmm. announced that they're opening theaters again because of the stuff that's going on. <laughs> so Wall Street hates this. And as of yesterday, Wall Street started something called a short ladder attack. Uh, What a short ladder attack is, is two hedge funds begin selling back and forth to each other to the point where the algorithm can no longer keep up with how many stocks are actually in existence and are just going off the stocks being traded. But it's happening so fast or so many times per second that it increases the number of stocks in uh, in in the market. And so supply goes up, demand goes down, and the price starts lowering too. Uh, what the hedge funds basically want to do is lower it to a price where they're no longer buying these stocks back at a loss. That's what's happening. But while all this is happening, AMC and GameStop are being saved. So my quick this is coming to a very abrupt end uh, here in a couple of seconds. But basically the point that I want to get away with is If you're on the outside of this, if you're not looking in on it, I've been basically deep diving into Wall Street bets and a bunch of discords, uh, (laughs) kind of trying to figure out (laughs) what this community is all about. Um, They're going as far as buying billboards and like making fun of Wall Street because they are not in it for the money. A lot of them are very, uh, very vocal about the fact that they could lose it all and they don't care. It's more about the message. Message that they're trying to send is, you don't get to milk these companies. You don't get to ruin these great, like, staples of American entertainment, like AMC or, like, GameStop, because these are companies that we love, and we're going to keep buying into them. Now, if we happen to make a couple bucks by doing this, we're going to buy billboards and make fun of you, <laughs> so be ready. <laughs> uh, and I have to say, I mean, it's pretty inspiring to watch a bunch of people come together to take down uh, one of these leaders i want to close by saying none of this was investment advice and you cannot sue me if you buy into this stuff hoping for a short squeeze (laughs) these are just the facts of what's happening and for my own safety i am not giving you investment advice and you should do your research into it but it's still entertaining so i want to talk about it hey alex can i uh should i buy some stock right now should i buy some games i'm not allowed to tell you what to do and i for sure won't do it on an audio recording You passed the test. In conclusion, uh, stocks are bullshit. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> my quick this is over. Stocks my, are my bullshit. Five minutes have passed. So that's it. Fucking, uh, if you use the Wall Street like a casino, um, good on you because that's exactly what it is. You can still invest in companies that you love. It helps out those companies that can only find money through investment. It is about the companies. Anyway. Go watch the movies at AMC. Go watch the movies at AMC. Go watch Soul at AMC. It's not screening there, but 
you know. Yeah, you can buy is. some GameStop. Uh, yeah. Hey, as always, we're entertained this. If you want to follow us on our social media, you can do so. Uh, on Twitter, we are entertain underscore this. You can find us on Instagram. Our username is entertain this podcast. We also now have a Facebook page. So if you look up entertain this podcast on Facebook, you can join our Facebook page. You can get updates about all things that are happening uh, with entertain this. I post when new episodes come out there. We have a website. It is www.entertainthis.net. It just got a new revamp from our boy uh, Nick, who just stabbed on him uh, because he is an old <laughs> man. Um, furthermore, uh, we're always looking for new things to cover. If there's something that we haven't covered yet that you want us to do a deep dive into and cover, uh, if you guys give us good suggestions, we'll entertain it. So entertain us so we can entertain you, and you can entertain this. As always, I'm Alex. I'm Michael. And I'm Nick. See you guys next Friday. Goodbye. How do I make it stop recording? This episode of Entertain This was written by me, Nick Mustakangas, with additional commentary from Alex Steele and Michael Savoya. Our theme music is Rushable by Aaron Spencer, with additional transitional music by DJW. And special thanks to Nick Wolf for his movie review of In the Earth, directed by Ben Wheatley. Tune in every Friday for new episodes, and thanks for listening.